0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Michelle Norris. I'm an opinion columnist for the Washington Post. And today we're going to talk about a series that looks at the effects of climate change. As you saw there, it appears on Apple Plus TV and it's called Extrapolations. We're joined today by the actor Edward Norton and by the show's creator, Scott Z. Burns, uh, he's more than just the show's creator, he's also a longtime friend of mine. We went to college together, and Scott, I'm I'm just so proud of the work you've done here. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Um, so let's just dive, dive right in. Um, Scott, I want to begin with you, if I can. You have said that you can't change people's attitudes unless you can also entertain them. Can you talk about how you talk briefly about the plot of the show and how you decided to, to lay out these eight varying stories and how you also balance those two things, trying to awaken people, but also entertain them.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I started from a place, you know, which is a documentary is a bit of a self sorting organism and that's, that's changing um, a little bit, but, you know, we've we've seen a lot of docs that have been made and some are really wonderful um that try and talk about the risks of climate change we've also seen some stories um that are scripted that deal with you know the the possible outcomes and there's a natural tendency i think on the part of a dramatist to look at the end of that story um and that you know has been covered i think very well by a lot of different people, um, in literature, in film. So I was sort of interested in the messy middle because in the messy middle, we all still have agency and cutting to the end may have certain dramatic opportunities, but it sort of limits the opportunities for human behavior to be explored. And so that was, that was the opening premise for this is, between now and however the, the climate crisis is resolved, we all are gonna see this show up in our lives in very, very different ways, um, depending on who we are, where we live, what our resources are. And so I wanted to do a survey of, of all of that. And, you know, that's, that's sort of where, where I started with this.
1: You know, it is we see the cataclysmic things that happen, fires all the time, the hurricane season that begins in April instead of August, but it's the smaller things that often are are so telling that when people go to synagogue they have to wear galoshes, because there's just water you know on the floor all the time. Um, the 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 fires that are always burning in the background, you know this as you say the slow burn that leads up to this. You also wrote the screenplay for Contagion which was eerily and scarily predictive of what would happen when we actually faced a global pandemic three years ago when that hit, right around now actually. For those of us who saw Contagion, we were wondering, did he look into a crystal ball? Did he really you know, understand with that, that greater accuracy what was going to happen? If you could just briefly also explain sort of the predictive journalism that you do, research that you do, that you put into this film. So what we're looking at is, is not just sort of, a, a it is in some ways an extrapolation of what might happen if current trends continue.
2: Yeah, I mean, contagion could have, could have been named extrapolations as well. You know, the, the similarity is in process. You know, I, I wanted to write a movie about viruses and how, as we encroached more and more on nature, we were gonna come in contact with viruses that our bodies had maybe never met and that we hadn't had an opportunity to develop natural immunity to, and that they will, as we've seen, jump into the human species. It was something my father was frankly obsessed with. Um, so he and I spent a lot of time towards the end of his life talking about it. And I thought, oh wow, I wonder if I can turn it into sort of a, a almost 70s style you know, disaster movie. Um, and Steven Soderbergh liked the idea. So we, we started doing that. What I learned from all those experts is, is really similar to what I learned talking to the experts in climate, which is, it was never an issue of, you know, will another pandemic happen? It was always just an act, an issue of when now nobody told me it would happen when it did, um you know, it's it's funny because Anthony Fauci actually came to the premiere of Contagion and his biggest quibble with me was he didn't think there would be any way that we would get a vaccine that quickly. Um, I haven't spoken to him since, but I huh. think we actually did a pretty good job of predicting that as well. Um, you know, I think on extrapolations, what I learned was a little different, which is, it isn't an issue of, you know, whether or not these things are going to happen. <clears throat> they already are happening. You know, when, when we started on the pilot, we consciously chose things that are already going on. There are already floods and fires and famines linked to drought. So we're already seeing this. The, the question I wanted to explore and that the scientists who I spoke to you know, opined on with our writers group was how far does it go before we decide um, to meet climate change with human change and stop it? How many many species are we going to say goodbye to? How many cities are we going to lose to sea level change? How many of the people in the global south are we going to lose? What are we going to do with you know climate driven, displacement of people, all of those things. Those were the more human issues that we wanted to tackle here.
1: Let's bring Edward into the conversation. I've been doing interviews a long time and I have always wanted to talk to you. This is such, um, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity Thanks, to have conversation. to be here. Uh, was this also an opportunity for you of sorts You know, not just to take on an interesting role, but to in some ways act your values, live your values, do something that aligned with your core values in life. When you decided to play uh, a a character who is a scientist who is trying to um, save the world in part by preventing this thing called solar uh, geoengineering, which many people might not know what that is. But I assume that in coming years, we're going to learn a lot more about that. What did this role mean to you?
3: sure although you know I, one of the things i like most about what scott and his team did with the with the text of this whole series is that it's not it's not a jeremiah it's not a it's not sort of a soapbox um it, it, with a with an assertion of values it it actually really is a meditation on how much uncertainty. Is it, it, it is intrinsically embedded within these uh, scientific questions, ethical questions, societal questions, and so um, to the degree you say, like was it a chance to act my values? It's it's like uh, well, yes and no. It, it, it like it's not an assertion of a position, but I think that simply simply being a part of an imaginative provocation I think it's healthy without taking a position I think I don't even think you have to take a position for it to be healthy to get people to put their minds toward the contemplation of what the implications of this particular set of challenges are we need to be we need to be meditating on it we need to be we need to be thinking ahead more we need to be we need to be grappling with the quotidian details of life that that could be altered and um, as a result of what's coming. And I and I guess I feel. So, sometimes I think the, the best thing art can do is. Is um, is kind of. Get us to reflect on who we are and where we are. Um, it you know, it's Spike Lee used to always say to me. Um, like you know a, a great film asks a lot more questions than it answers uh and i and i think that's that's very that that's that's a very rich component of this series as ways it it's it provokes a lot of questions it provokes a lot of um contemplation meditation um i don't i don't think it's I i i don't think it's a lecture uh, at all and i think um and i love that i've i've always loved to be a part of of um, drama that, that, that provokes questions, um, uh, and, and, and leaves people to contemplate what they think the answers might be.
1: You know, it's interesting is there are questions that are actually built into the script at several points where people are asking, why is this happening? Or what can we do? Or, you know, that, and and they're asking that of another character that I can see in the way that this is, constructed that you're really asking that question of the audience you know where am i in this if i'm alive in 2047 what will i have done to prevent what i'm seeing on the screen right now there's a clip that i want yeah. to do um it has uh edward your character jonathan chopin he is talking to his ex-wife gita who is on a mission that that seemed like it was a groundbreaking mission and it turns out to be something quite different and this is where in the series were introduced to this idea of geoengineering. Let's listen to the clip and then we'll come right back.
0: What will happen to the ozone layer? You don't know. What what will what, happen to the oceans? You don't know. The t- two billion people you say you're, you're trying to save, you're about to drop another climate volatility event right on their heads. How, how does that- But the occur? real reckless experiment is the one civilization has been running, you know, adding carbon to the atmosphere, adding plastic to the ocean removing species from ecosystems. Nobody was trying to change the climate. We, we didn't even think that we had that capacity. We, we didn't know better, but we do now. And yet, human behavior doesn't change. The sky is easier to re-engineer than the human brain job. Exactly. And if, and if you tell that greedy monkey brain it's cooled off and everything's okay it's gonna say give me a little bit more just let Uh, me burn a little bit more just let me just let me mortgage a little more of the children's future so that i can make sure i can juice this quarterly balance sheet i just need that one it's 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 gita gita even if you got all of of the chemical interactions right if you got the dispersal pattern right the, the the problem here is bigger than the heat of the sun gita it's it's the way we see the world
1: the character, Gita, is trying to engage in something akin to cloud seeding, and that line is incredible, that line in the script, that the the sky is easier to engineer than the human brain. What do you want audiences to take from that exchange in particular? Because that seemed to be really key to that particular episode. Um
2: It's interesting because what happens next in that scene is, you know, we get to meet um, Edward's uh, son. And to me writing this, again, going back to trying to take something big and make it more relatable, um, you know, you learn about his relationship with, with his son and how, you know, how Jonathan's character, you know changes his relationship to the science of geoengineering which is a tricky thing because like a lot of technology it's very hard to imagine human beings foregoing a quick and easy fix we seem to like those um and and we 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 might be able to slow the temperature from getting warmer but i think what's interesting is you know as as this episode goes on, is to hear the dynamic between a father and a son about you know how how do we manage this? how do you, how does how does an adult change their mind about a, a an issue in front of their child? Um, so, you know, it's interesting watching that scene because it's probably the biggest confrontation maybe in the whole series about about our reliance on technology. I, I don't even know that I can take credit for that line. That Edward may have actually improved that. I'm not sure.
1: And <laughs> Edward, there's a scene also where you sit down um, and you're on the phone. And at this point in the future, it's almost like this Elvin Toffler thing where we're looking at what our technology will look like in the future and everything is a hologram. And you're able to immediately call up an experiment that your son did and you realize that this has been living in his brain for some time, this idea of this geoengineering, was part of the message in that particular scene and your whole relationship with your son to send a message that our children are watching us? Edward, was that one of the things that was present in your mind as you're playing this role? Yeah, I thought, I
3: thought, Again, Scott and his team, I thought not just in that episode, but I think weaving, it's woven all through the anthology is the idea that, you know, the the question of who should be making these decisions in some sense. And I think it's, you know, you look at incredibly um, passionate young activists like Greta Thunberg and, and others who catch so much shade from older generations for being loud, for being fierce, for being. Um, insistent. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, I think this, I think the series has woven into it that tension to a high degree, the idea that, that younger people waiting on the incremental moves of, of older people um, is not is a, there's something wrong with that, that there's a, and, and I, and I like it, you know, in the human drama of it, I, I like the the character i play is affected um, he's affected by that idea that that maybe maybe at the end of the day it's not it's not it it, it it's a, it's something that has to be granted to a younger generation that that they that right or wrong risky or not they ultimately it's it's right that they call the shot um, in a situation of uncertainty and I think um i think uh I, I think that you know it if one thing if one thing uh, comes through the series that I think is really disturbing, it's that as you see the years marching on it, it, as you imagine the future unfolding, and you realize that that there's a lot of goodwill, there's a lot of attention being paid, but that incremental increment you know that th- this is ramping so fast on us that we don't we don't have the time for incrementalism and that incrementalism um will is not going to win <laughs> it's a it's a it it becomes a it it kind of creates a knot in your stomach because you 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 look around and you realize that in our social challenges there are many things that we can afford we can afford the timeline of incrementalism you could you could say that in um you know, social justice and and uh, civil rights, right? Everybody wants things to move faster. Every, everybody wants to achieve equity and, and justice. There isn't an intrinsic catastrophic effect to, to, as Martin Luther King said, to the arc being long but bending toward justice. Where the climate is concerned and where the environment is concerned, you don't have infinite timelines and incrementalism literally may actually unfortunately fade us to the more catastrophic outcomes and i think um and that's and that's tough because you realize i think the series deals with the fact that our social structures uh don't don't favor uh boldness you know we don't we don't tend to we don't tend to i mean barring cataclysmic events like fascism and world wars you know we we struggle to get together around things um especially when it's at odds with our short term interests and and as my character says it the monkey brain um the monkey brain that just wants to maximize all the time um is is really short circuiting our own ability to move boldly and it's uh it's it's kind of a a a dire conundrum that our our, our makeup versus the needs
1: of the moment you know there's a there's a whole interesting body of research on risk aversion you know and and how people just will do things that are not in their best interest because risk is is just too too scary for them you mentioned that that famous dr king quote you know um our former attorney general eric holder has added an addendum to that that i actually rather quite like that the mark the arc of uh, moral justice the arc of the universe bends toward justice but only if we reach out and grab it. It is is not guaranteed that it will bend right. without without human action. Let's bring in um, a listener. We uh, love our, our, our viewers and our listeners because they're, they're very interactive. And we have a question from a gentleman from Walter, his name is Walter, he lives in Virginia, and he asks, how does the show address the climate equity problem? The people least responsible for causing climate change will likely suffer the most from its consequences? Um,
2: I will go first. Um, Please watch this Friday's episode because what it explores is exactly what happens in the Oval Office. Um, There's a decision that's made at the end of of Edward's episode, and we see the ramifications of that played out in the Global South. when you watch these negotiations unfold, you very, you know, look, you can take whatever position you want on someone like Modi, but, you know, India has the opportunity to be an economic powerhouse if they burn a lot of coal. So when we ask them to forego that, how does that feel that we had a 150 year head head start with cheap energy to build our economies. And we're just supposed to say, Hey, sorry, that was unfortunate on our part, but you can't do that. Um, And so I think we do really take that part of the problem very seriously, because we are now going to have to all work together, even though exactly as you point out, this problem hasn't visited all of us equally. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of these issues you know, sea level change, in particular drought, these are going to be visited on the global south and on people who do not have the economic resources. There's a line in that episode where Indira Varma, who plays Gita says, you know, I'm imagining you're all sitting in an air conditioned room right now. So um, that is a huge part of the story and I'm grateful for your question.
1: Edward, did you want to answer Walter? Also,
2: no,
3: I, I, I agreed. I, I, I think that the is that the fifth episode uh, yeah. that follows on mine. Yeah, that 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 whole episode takes place in India, and it's it's incredibly vivid. I th- I thought that was one of my favorite episodes. Honestly, is the imagining of the, of the, uh, of the impacts of conversations in one place being really physical. Physically imagined and realized in another, and um, it, it's very gripping that that episode.
1: At last year's World Travel and Tourism Council Global Summit, um, Edward, you said that the challenge of our era is climate change and sustainability. And as we noted, you were um, you are now a UN ambassador for biodiversity. You know, in a film like this, you're taking on the kind of topics that that are the subject of white papers. And diplomatic roundtables, and you're taking this and interpreting it in a way that an audience that is watching this for entertainment on a Friday night, watching it with their kids, watching it on a little device while they're on a plane, um, can take it in and, and understand it. What role does that? How does your role as a as a biodiversity ambassador mesh with your role as an entertainer, as an actor in Hollywood? Um, is it a challenge to bridge those two things, or does it enrich what you do in some ways and give you a second sight?
3: Um, i I think that narrative and storytelling are are you know, components of a lot of a lot of this work. Um, biodiversity, in particular, is a very, by definition, sort of scientific academic idea. A lot of people in modern life, certainly in modern urban life, don't don't experience their daily, you know, a, a sense of connectivity to biodiversity in their daily lives. Um, and I think in the first hundred years of environmental advocacy, biodiversity concerns were expressed as like elephant extinction or lion extinction. You know, the World Wildlife Fund's panda um kind of iconic macrofauna species and the idea that there would be a a spiritual sort of intrinsic loss if we lost those species i think that in the 21st century we've got to understand biodiversity in a more sophisticated way we've got to understand biodiversity as um intrinsically intertwined with our entire global economy i i like the example of pollinators like if you take if you there is no technology that can replicate what bees do for our agricultural industry. Um, it, it, with tri- with a trillion dollars, you couldn't replicate what pollinators do, and and the the impacts to not just what you would see on the grocery store shelves, but literally the viability of our agricultural system. If we lose, if we experience ongoing collapse of pollinators, is you know is is really catastrophic. So I think. Um, whether as a narrative, dramatic storyteller, or within the context of of trying to help talk about biodiversity in ways that illuminate it, I think a lot of it is just narrative. It's it's about um, that's what I think is compelling about. I'm not a scientist. I'm not. Um, I've been. I, I, I've got an, a long-standing immersion in environmental issues, but but I think sometimes. These complicated issues need people to articulate them in accessible ways. They need you need to draw mental pictures for people. You need to create create lines of, you know, create consciousness of the of the lines that connect you to these academic ideas. And um, and a lot of that's just about about framing it in a narrative sense.
1: You know, it, it happens in such subtle ways in this in this series. Uh, there's a character played by Sienna Miller who notes in one of the early episodes, the bees are all gone. I mean, it's not like a a, a, a thunderbolt or anything. It's just like it happened. They were here. The pollinators are all gone. Um, Scott, when you produced this film, was there any discussion about having some sort of warning attached to it? Because it, it is I mean, it's. It's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. And often when I say that, the next question is don't go see it. But in this case, it's one of the most disturbing things I've seen. And I want everybody to see it because I think that people need to see and respond to this. So I guess it's a two part question. Should there have been a warning? And what do you want people to do on the other side of viewing this?
2: Oh, wow. That's a lot. Um, You know, we do have a website at the end of the show that you can go where we offer, you know, people who are affected by climate related anxiety. It's become a whole field. You know, I can I can tell you that in my experience and, you know, I'm someone who has spent a fair amount of time immersed in not only the science, but imagining what the science portends like the best I've felt in the last few years is going to work every day with a bunch of people who talked about and focused on these problems. Um, and, and so I think like any movement, community and company and storytelling are what galvanize us and protect us. Um, when people talk about, well, geez, what about hope? You know, to me, you just gotta start replacing the word hope with the word courage and and find characters and examples of people who who had courage in the face of difficulty. And that circles back to storytelling. You know, people may not think of Aaron Brockovich as a you know climate or environmental film, and and yet it it really is, because we met someone. Um, who is from a certain background, who made a series of choices and took on, you know, a a big, bad company. So, you know, that's that's the, the first part is I think, you know, you do have the power against this. You really do. And the narrative that you've been fed, sadly, is very similar to the narrative that, you know, we're watching again, you know, that we can't have you know we can't do anything about assault rifles we can't do anything about racism we're hopelessly divided over abortion and so all of these things somehow are supposed to be taken away from me as a storyteller and i really i really wonder where that leads us as a society cuz i i learned a lot about the world around me from a movie like serpico i learned about corruption all of the movies that I've learned, you know, um, you know, Edwards movie that took on white supremacy was incredibly interesting to me and helped illuminate that. If we make everything that's challenging something that needs to have a warning label, I really worry about, you know, the future of, of storytelling. Um, I I don't think that it exists, merely as escapism, because if we keep using it just as escapism, the place that we have to return to afterwards is just going to get worse and worse.
1: And Edward, since this is essentially your hometown news organization, since you were, you grew Mm -hmm. up in Columbia, Maryland, we're going to claim you. Um, Do you want to have the last word? Baltimore might have something to
3: say about that, but
1: but, uh, oh, OK, all right. Well, you know, uh, just, uh, just I, I, I'm not going to no. wait in that water, I, but I'm I, just going to play. I,
3: I grew up with the post on my doorstep.
1: Do you um, want to have the last word on what you hope people will do after seeing this film? Um,
3: I I think that. You know, there. There are always those those there's those kind of bromides of like, what are the little things each of us can do? Um, I, I hate to say it, but I just, I, I, I personally hope that people will vote this issue more. I think that we, the the place that we see real incrementalism, real dangerous incrementalism is in the sphere of national and international policy. Um, we continue to see attempts to roll back environmental regulation and, and, um, and, and frankly, the you know the incentive structures to move beyond carbon uh, based economy are just still not what they ought to be and and you know i want i want using led light bulbs instead of incandescents to be what what tips the balance but it isn't um it's we need political will um and i think that we need we need to continually um, make it a priority to bring political leadership uh to bear on these you know Bring in political leadership that takes this stuff seriously, and maybe that's a generational shift. Uh, I don't know, but but um, but uh, but also, I I I really do think there's value. Nothing moves as fast as we want, but I think there's value in more and more people uh, absorbing that this is the moment that we're living in. You know this. Um, this is going to define the way people look at us in the future the decisions are going to eclipse all of our geopolitical squabbles all of our social squabbles um about about what are american values like it will all look like idle idle dinner table chat while a house was burning um if we don't if we don't prioritize this discussion and so i i, I to me every measure every measure of provocation whether it's documentary or dramatic to get people um, thinking in a dynamic way about what's coming for us and what we ought to do about it is healthy right now.
1: That's an important point. The notion that this is happening right now, the very definition of extrapolation is the action of estimating or concluding or making some sort of conclusion based on existing trends, based on things that are actually happening right now. Thank you so much for your work on this. Edward Norton, Scott Z. Burns, I appreciate that you took time to talk for us, talk to us. The show is Extrapolations. You can find it on Apple TV Plus, and I do hope you find it. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs,
0: go to WashingtonPostLive.com.